Pomp and Circumstance, March number one in key of D, composed by Edward Elgar. Are you familiar with that tune? We got some, we got some head nods. Okay, if, if, you, if you're me, you're not, you're not bobbing your head, you're going, oh, no clue, I have no clue. Some here probably haven't the faintest idea of what that is, what that tune is. Now, if I can remember it without going blank, which I think I'm getting ready to, it sounds something like this. Um, dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 Okay. You know what it is now? Yeah, thank you. Oh. Beer all morning. So what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear that song? Graduation. That's right. Graduation. Now, for those that might be here... Uh, that uh, lived across the pond in England. Graduation is not the first thing that comes to your mind. It's another song that comes to your mind. Actually, that song has words to it now, at least in England. It's the old song. It's almost a second national anthem to those in England. It's uh, Land of Hope and Glory. Land of Hope and Glory. I don't know the words to that. I've looked it up, but I don't remember what it was. But... um, But most of you in the room, when you think of that song, you think of graduation day. Do you remember the day, most of you, when you were walking down the aisle, chest high, chin up, proud, having on your graduation regalia, entering into the song? What was that song again? I forgot. Pomp and Circumstance, that's right. March number one in Key of D. Walking in proudly. Some of, some of you, that was a past experience. But a few of you in here, that's a future experience. Coming up pretty soon. You're walking down the aisle and you thought to yourself, It's finally over. It's finally over. They weren't tears of joy. Well, they were tears of joy, but pain as well. But graduation isn't just a celebration of the end of a long and tedious, of long and tedious work. It's also a celebration of a new beginning, a new chapter in life. As you stride down that aisle to receive your diploma. So this is exciting. This is an exciting occasion. Which is why this song... Pomp and circumstance is so fitting to the occasion. As one writer once said about the song, they said, The tune manages to sound triumphant, but with an underlying quality of nostalgia, making it perfectly suited to a commencement that marks the beginning of one stage of life, but the end of another. You know, there's another song, another tune that is a sound of triumph and yet brings pause for reflection. It's a tune that marks the beginning of a new life, a new stage in life, and the end of an old one. This tune is not set to music, which you know, doesn't make it a tune at all. It's actually a message. 
It's called the gospel. The gospel means good news. I have a question. Have you ever heard this tune before? I I know many in this room have heard this tune before, and you've heard it trumpeted loud. But my wish, my hope, my desire, is that for those in here in this room that haven't heard this tune before, or haven't heard it clearly, I ask you today, would you take a moment, the next 30 minutes, or 45, depending how long I go, to listen intently to this beautiful sonnet, this beautiful tune, would you? As our graduates transition to a new chapter in life, they are commanded by God. You guys, you're commanded by God. Some of you over here, you're all over the place. You are commanded by God to take this tune with you wherever you go. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now the treasure that Paul's talking about, he's talking about the gospel. And the jars of clay? Well, that's you and I. But wait, wait, wait a minute. You, you don't put a diamond in a worthless clay pot. You don't do that. What do you do with a diamond? You put a diamond in a vault to protect it? You put a diamond on your fiancé or your wife and they get to strut that thing around. You've seen those ladies once they get that diamond. It seems like their finger seems to protrude out just a little bit further. All this? Oh, yeah. Show it off. Or you put it behind an impenetrable glass case that all can see it. You don't put it in a clay pot. A broken clay pot. But you know, the funny thing is, is that's what God does. He has given you and He has given me this priceless treasure, this beautiful tune, this wonderful sonnet, this song. But He's given it to worthless clay pots like you and like me. Well... The question that I have is, do you know this message? Do you know this message? Another question I have is, do you know how to to deliver this message? Do you know how to deliver this message? You see, that God's given this responsibility. He's given us to these clay jars like ourselves. And He has given us the responsibility to deliver this message to others, the recipient. We are just the mailmen, women, persons, people. We are the male people. We're to deliver this. Our responsibility is not how the recipient receives it. That is not our responsibility. So if I deliver the message to someone and they accept it, it's wonderful. But if they do a return to sender, that's their responsibility. You as the mailman did yours. And you are to deliver this message. So as our graduates ship off, you guys, you ship on off this summer, and as you and I, church, we get more involved in the community, God 
is going to give us more opportunities to share this priceless treasure, this beautiful tune, to those around us. And I want to, I want to give you a tool this morning to help you do this. Only thing you have to do is remember four words. That's it. That's a really big understatement. You've got to remember more than that. But we'll try with four. Okay? The four words are this. God, man, Christ, response. You say that with me? God, man, Christ, response. Now... If you go up to someone that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and you say, hey, God, man, Christ, response, and you think that you've delivered the message of the gospel, you are greatly mistaken. Okay, just remember, this is just an outline. These are just hooks. You know how you walk into someone's house, at least maybe an older house, and they'll have, they'll have hooks on the side of the wall. That's for your, your uh, coat and your, your hat. Well, these are just hooks for you. So you can remember, okay, where am I at in this message to deliver, because this is my responsibility that God's given me. I'm a worthless clay, uh, clay jar that needs to deliver this priceless treasure. And here's some hooks to help me out. And you are going to be able to share the gospel much easier, and I, I believe more clearly this way. So God, man, Christ, response. So what I would like for you to do is turn with me into the book of Romans, chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, that's where we'll be spending the majority of the time, in fact, the entire entirety of the time. Romans chapter 1, for those who might be a little unfamiliar in uh, looking through your Bibles, you're not sure where Romans is, go to the table of contents in the front of your Bible. Right there you will see uh, two categories, Old and New Testament. Romans is in the New Testament. Just look there, I'll have the page number, turn to that page number. When I say chapter, I'm talking about the big number in there. I'm not trying to demean anybody, but some people might not know how to turn. And uh, chapter is the big number. When I say verse, that's the small number. So Romans chapter 1, big number. Verse 15, small number. Just so that you're aware of that. Romans chapter 1, verse 15. The Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans for a particular purpose. He wrote it to... The church in Rome. That's why it was called, well, that's why it's called the book of Romans. Because it was written to the church in Rome. And he was most eager to go to Rome for one primary purpose. In Romans chapter 1, verse 15, says this. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul had a hunger to preach the gospel. Paul's life was focused on sharing the gospel message. You know, as Christian believers, this is also something that we need to develop in our own lives. Many of you, this, God has just worked in you and this has developed quickly and naturally. Whereas other of us, others of us in here maybe struggle with that a little bit. And I just want to tell you, graduates... As you leave, you are not leaving just to go study, to fill your minds with knowledge that you might have a better opportunity to get a decent, high-paying occupation or job. That is not why you're going. That's one purpose. But God has so gifted you with particular gifts, abilities, knowledge 
to go to this particular school or wherever it is, maybe into the military. He's given you these interests for reasons. And he is moving you guys to that location for a particular purpose. That particular purpose is so that you can influence others for Jesus Christ. So that you can play that beautiful melody and tune that he has given you. Though you're just worthless clay pots. I know your parents don't think that, but it's true. I think you're great. Men and women, as you are in your occupation, you have your job. God has given you that job for several reasons. One is that you can provide for your family. Two, it gives him glory that you're working. Remember, I know it's hard, but think through this. Uh, Work is a gift. Uh, Work is good. It actually was before the curse that you were to work. Um, After the curse, it just got a little bit harder. Okay, but work is good. But do you know that he puts you in the position that he has you, that you might be an influence for the gospel and those that you work around with? If that doesn't even come into your mind... When you're at work, I just want to encourage you to start thinking that way and asking God to give you opportunities to share. Now, you need to live in the confines of the rules and things that your organization has given you. Don't get fired, necessarily. But you need to be there as an influence and allow your faith to penetrate every aspect of your life. Those who are unemployed at this time, I know you're in a difficult situation. But I want you to take advantage of these opportunities that you have now. I want you to work hard to find work. That's what God's calling you to do. And He'll help you. He will bring that opportunity to you. But take, don't take your freedom as a curse. Take it as an opportunity. You now have more time on your hands that you can, whether get involved here at church, whether get more involved in... Uh, summer camp here at the pavilion that's coming up in three weeks. I encourage you to sign up adults for sports camp to help out. You have an opportunity to help out with these Super Tuesdays and see these little kids come and share the gospel with them. God has allowed this to happen in your life for a particular purpose. It's to bring Him glory, to work in you, and for you to have opportunity to share the gospel with others. Teens, when you go to school, you only have a few more weeks left, but when you go to school, it's not just to learn that you need to be doing that. And it's not just to obey your authorities, which you really need to be doing that as well. But it's also that you're around your friends to impact them with the gospel. If you're only doing what they're doing, you are not doing what God wants you to do. If you're not being a gospel witness in their life, then you are in sin. It's pretty blunt. It's true. You're in sin. Teens, when you're in public school, you need to share the gospel with your friends. Teens who are in Christian school. Yes, I've been to many Christian schools, and I know there are people there that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. You need to share the gospel with your friends. Those who are at home school, when you go to co-op or wherever you may go, I know not everybody has a relationship with Jesus in co-op. You need to be the gospel witness there. I know probably not all of your friends or family 
know Jesus Christ, you need to share that with them and bring that beautiful melody and tune to them. You're responsible to share the gospel with them. Children, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you also have the responsibility to share the gospel with your friends, with your grandma, maybe even with your mom and dad, if they don't know Jesus. Paul then gives the reason that he has an eagerness to preach this gospel to the Romans. He says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Well, why, why was he not ashamed of the gospel? Let's keep reading. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know, this should also be a a huge motivation for us as well. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the message of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. Do you know this? That you can do all the good things in the world, yet no one be saved. You can go to Africa, and you can build houses. You can go to Africa, it's on my mind right now. And you can feed the little kids who are hungry and have no food. You can go and drill wells, you can go and you can be the nicest person in the world, yet no one come to faith in Jesus Christ. Because why? It's not in what you're doing that's going to save anybody. It's only the message of the gospel that saves anyone. Because that's where the power is. It is the word of God given out clearly that people receive into their minds. The Holy Spirit works in that works in their heart, changes them, they are saved because they believe in the message. That is absolutely unbelievable if you stop and think about it. That a message totally transforms lives. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, your life has been changed. If it hasn't, I'm not sure you've met my Jesus. Why does the gospel have this power for salvation? Because in the gospel, verse 17, because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This means that the message, this message saves because when people have faith or trust in this message, or in, in other words, where they, they trust fully in this message, God, who is a righteous God, declares that person righteous and applies His righteousness, God applies His righteousness to their account only on the basis of faith in the message. That's why this message is powerful. Because God's righteousness is revealed. We have a powerful message. The gospel is powerful. But the question, once again, is do you know the message to deliver? Let's get into the fourfold outline again. Do you remember it? What was it? Great. It's, it's there. It's there. God, man, Christ's response. So, read with me. We're going to do a lot of reading today. Because I think it's better if you, we read from the Bible instead of hearing my words. 
In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, I'm going to read through that. Please read along with me. Open up your Bible there if you haven't already. The Apostle Paul says this to the Roman church, but you know it's not, not just to the church in Rome, it's also to everyone sitting here. These are your words. This is God's word to you. It says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. One thing that people need to know, when you share the gospel, you come to this first, uh, uh, number one in the outline here, the first hook about God, is they need to know that He's creator. They need to know that He is the creator. Which makes us what? Creation. We are His creation. Now, a created being, a created being or thing is accountable to the one that created it. Right? So a clay pot that's made by the potter was created for a particular purpose. And when that clay pot does not meet the expectations, or rather not expectations, but doesn't do what it was designed to do, it's discarded. So in in a similar kind of way, we, God, created us for the purpose of worshiping, enjoying, and serving Him. Therefore, we, we all are accountable to Him. And when we stray, and as we will find out, we all have strayed. And when we stray from our purpose, we will receive the punishment of those actions. Now, I know some of you have probably heard me say, tell this story before, uh, but I'm going to do it again anyways. When I worked at uh, UPS, I was a package handler. Tough, tough work. My back still feels it. I was in my trailer one night. I was loading boxes. And this was just an unusual night. God was working in the hearts of those guys that were there with me. And in the course of the night, I had five guys individually come into my trailer and talk with me about the Bible. Uh, I don't know necessarily why they did it. Um, I, I would have little conversations here and there. I tried to um, act appropriately in front of them as a Christian should. Um, but they came into my trailer, just asked me questions. Most of their questions were, so do you believe in demons? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's what the Bible says. So when they asked me all these questions about demons and angels and Satan. Seems to be exciting for them. But I had one guy that came in to my trailer. And with kind of a, a, a brusque tone to his voice, he looked at me. Mark? 
Why does God have any right to judge me? And I don't know if you're anything like me, but when people ask me questions, I never know what to say to them half the time. And because uh, I'm usually like, uh, and about 10 minutes later, I have the most amazing response ever. <laughs> they would convert them like this. If they were only here 10 minutes ago, oh. But, you know, so I'm a little slow. And, uh, but the Holy Spirit was working in me a little bit quicker, I guess, this, this day. So he asked me this question. Mark, why does God have any right to judge me? And I looked at him and simply said, Justin, he's your creator. And he looked at me. Because he knew. He knew. He knew that if God is creator, and he believes it, he does, even though he might not say it. If God's creator, then he is accountable to him. You know God's your creator, and you're accountable to him. Christian, live for him. He's your creator. He loves you. Unbeliever, and come to faith in him before it's too late. They need to know that he is creator and that he that they are accountable to him. You know, you see, Paul shows in verses 18 through 20 that people know in their heart that God is real because of his created order. Yet they suppress that truth. Don't let anybody fool you. They may say they're atheists. They may have that philosophy in their mind. They may say that they're agnostic, not really knowing what's going on. But really, in their heart of hearts, at the end of the day, they know that there is a God, but they're just suppressing that truth. They're just suppressing that truth. And Paul says it here. This is the word of God, so it's true. And they would rather worship the creation, as it says in verse 23, because you can make that God into your own image, and you can manipulate that God to do as you please. Why idols are so attractive? Because you can do whatever you want with it. Most people, at least in the United States, I would assume, worship themselves. Another thing that a person needs to know about God is that He is righteous. So He is creator. They also need to know that He's righteous. Again, in verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. God's wrath on ungodliness is connected to his righteousness. Okay? Because he is righteous, he will judge. He will. God is righteous, he will judge. He is going to judge. In Exodus chapter 34, 6 through 7, you don't need to turn there. I'm going to read this. God gets ready to move past Moses and show him his hind parts. As he goes, he declares things about himself to Moses. And this is what God says about himself. He says this, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, 
and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Stop right there. That's the God that we love. God is slow to anger. He's compassionate. He forgives sin. He's patient. That's the God that we love. But that's not the complete picture. Let me read the next part of that verse. It says this. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He will punish sin. Whoa. Therefore, when you share the gospel with people, they need to know that God is their creator, which makes them accountable to him, and that God is righteous and will punish wickedness. So the first hook is God. They need to know that He's Creator. I'm accountable to Him. And He is righteous. And He's going to judge sin. He doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. He will not. Though He's slow to anger and He's compassionate. Those who are guilty will be punished. You know, you share that truth with some, as I have in the past, and they don't even blink an eye. And they go, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, He's Creator, I'm accountable to Him. You know, he's righteous. I agree with it. But you know, everyone's natural tendency is to believe this. That really, I'm a good guy. You know what? When I meet God uh, in heaven at the judgment seat, my good deeds are going to outweigh my bad deeds. It's going to be fine. He's going to let me on in. Really? Really? And don't think it's just the people out there. You know, given to myself, my first inclination is to do this. I am a hard judge when it comes to looking at other people. Look at them. (laughs) Right with your left hand. Who does that? Who does that? But when I'm in the hot water, mercy, please, show grace and mercy to me, please. I want forgiveness, because I'm not that bad. It really wasn't too bad, was it? No, I'm a good guy. That's my inclination. Hard on others. Really easy on myself. Maybe I'm the only one in that picture, ain't I? Yet, you know what? The Bible paints another picture of who you and I are. Who our very na- what our very nature is. The Apostle Paul goes on for the next three chapters describing the sinfulness of man, but not just in general terms. No, 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 no. It's not like one of these ideas that roll around your mind and you think, well, you know, the majority of the world's really bad, but us select few, we're pretty good. No, not at all. See, Paul doesn't use general terms in referring to the sinfulness of mankind. He is specific. And he throws every individual person that comes into this world in the bucket. Well, let's go ahead and read. And let's see what Paul says. Let's see what the Word of God says about what our situation is, what our nature's like. In Romans chapter 1, 24 through 27, I'm going to read this. 
follow along with me, open up your Bibles. It says this, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. These are the people that decided to work, worship the creation rather than the creator. He gave them up to the lusts of their own hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason... God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Go down to verse 29. Listen. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, Evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Pause. Foolish, faithful, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. In chapter 2, and the beginning part of chapter 3, Paul then shows that all Jews are under sin. See, that section that I just read is a reference to Gentiles. Gentiles is anybody who's not a Jewish person. Okay? So he declares that all Gentiles... Everybody who's not a Jew, you are under sin. Now he gets to the Jewish person. Because that's what the church consisted of in a majority. Is that you had a lot of Jews and you had a lot of Christians coming together and trying to work out this whole relationship with Jesus. And in chapter 2, I'm not going to read anything from there. But he puts all Jews under sin. And like a machine gun that lets off its rounds in staccato succession, so Paul lets off his round of deadly truth in Romans 3, 10 through 18. Check this out. I want to just sprint through this. 10 through 18, he says this about those, you and I, and the condition that we're in. As it is written, he says... None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Finally, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, a verse most of you are probably familiar with. It says this, just further on down. It says, Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is some bad news. But people must know that they are lost before they can be found. 
They must see that there is no hope in them before they will reach out to the one who can give them hope. We are all, we are all under and must face our righteous creator who, listen, who will not let the guilty go unpunished. We all have committed high treason, literally, committed high treason against an infinitely holy and righteous God that deserves what? An infinite, eternal punishment in hell. What, what do we do? What, what do we do? The Bible says that our good deeds can never outweigh our bad deeds. You know, in, in the same way that it's ridiculous for a serial killer who's been caught red, red-handed to stand before a judge and say, well, you know, you know, judge, I know I'm guilty about all these accounts, but look at all the good stuff I did. For the judge to declare him righteous or okay would be an atrocity. In the same way, it would be like us standing before our righteous creator and saying, well, God, I, I, I know that I committed these sins against you of high treason, but well, look at all that good stuff I did. And the Bible says that even our righteous deeds, our good deeds, are like filthy rags before Him. We have no hope in and of ourselves. We have no hope. Hook one is God. Hook two is man. Hook three is Christ. Well, in our hopeless situation, God has made a way to escape His wrath and actually become His child. One He loves and protects. Are you kidding me? Have you thought about this message recently? This boggles my mind. How how can this be? In Romans chapter 3... Verses 24 through 26 is our answer. You need to turn there. You need to check this out because this message is almost too ridiculous to even believe. So we have to look in in black and white right here to actually see if it's true. And it is. See, we receive salvation from this punishment by being, verse 24, by being justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Let's unpack that a little bit because there's some words there that need to be translated almost, defined. Justified by His grace. What does it mean to be justified? That means, it's a judicial term, that means that God declares you righteous. He declares you righteous. And then you think to yourself, what? Pastor Mark, you just said that God is a righteous God. Therefore, He must punish sin. What gives Him the right to say, 
You're declared righteous. That would be unjust. And it also says it's a gift. It's just given. How can that be? And he says, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, well, what did Christ Jesus do in order for us to receive this incredible gift? To be declared righteous. And he says this in verse 25. Read with me. Whom God, Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Stop there. So, this justification, this declaration of righteousness that's given as a gift, it's through Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus Christ do? He came. He came for you and I. God the Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who is God, down to this earth. And Jesus came willingly. He came willingly. And He became a propitiation for you and and for me. Pastor Van has defined this word before, but we're going to do it again because it's a big word and it's easy to forget. Propitiation means to appease. To appease. So when Jesus came down to this earth, lived a perfect life that you couldn't live, and was nailed to the cross, hands open wide, he became a propitiation. He became an appeasement of God's wrath for you. He became your substitute. So instead of you receiving the, due pen- the penalty that you deserved, it went to Jesus. So back to the question, how can God be just to declare you righteous? It's because of Jesus. See, God has, God has to punish sin. It says it in Exodus chapter 34, verse 7. Yet he is a God that does not let the guilty go unpunished. He has to because he's righteous. So someone had to take the blunt. Someone had to take the wrath. And that was Jesus, God, who came down for you. Absolutely incredible. And he took on your punishment. He suffered on that tree. And he rose again from the dead. See, his, his resurrection... Is absolutely vital. Without Jesus rising from the dead, we have no hope. See, when Jesus rose from the dead, what that showed was that His sacrifice, His propitiation, His substitution for your punishment was accepted by God. So when we come to celebrate Easter, the resurrection, we celebrate because we have hope. Because God accepted that sacrifice on our Christ's behalf. So God is just. And it says, in verse 26, it was to show, go back up just a little bit, mid part of 25, it says, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. This is what happened. God, in his grace and patience, 
looked over or passed over the sins that were committed in the past. All right? He didn't just, as soon as someone sinned, he didn't just punish them like he should have because he's a righteous God. But because of his grace and patience, he waited. He was patient. And then at the present time, present time meaning Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ came, that's when the blunt of his wrath was poured out because of the sins from the past and that of the future. And it was because of Jesus, it says, and it was to show, verse 26, to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might, God, might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So do you know why God is just to declare you righteous this day? It's because of Jesus Christ took the blunt of the wrath from a righteous creator. And that now, when you put your trust in this message, God can declare you righteous and be just doing it. And he can be your justifier. This is an absolute, mind-blowing message. (laughs) It's almost ridiculous, but it's true. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hook one is God. Hook two, man. Hook three, Christ. Hook four, response. The gospel message is not complete until there is a call to respond to the message. The person you are sharing this message to, they might be thinking, well, how can I really know that this message is for me and not just for everybody else? They might be thinking that. And you can be assured that this is for everyone. If you look at Romans chapter 3, verse 22, just up a few verses, it says this. How do I know that this is for everybody? It says, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And it also says in Romans chapter 4 verse 5, And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. All you need to do is place your trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. To save you. And he will give you his righteousness. Really? (laughs) And you talk to people where you give them that message. And they're like, I can't believe that. There's no way. It's too easy. I don't do anything. No. Trust in the message. Trust in the Savior, Jesus Christ. Last verse, and then we'll... Begin closing. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So when many of you hear pomp and circumstance at graduation this year, remember that God has called you to be vessels that carry a priceless treasure 
You need to go and spread this gospel. You need to go and spread this gospel. It's the only thing that will change lives. We have issues in this country and the world with racism. The only way that racism will be solved is that people bend their knee to Jesus Christ. The only way that abortion will be obliterated from this country and the world is that people bend their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Murder will stop. The only way any of these social issues in our country, in our land, will be solved is not by any political power, but only by the gospel of Jesus Christ, penetrating the hearts of people, changing lives. This is a beautiful tune. Will you sing it? Don't sing it. You might ruin the message. Will you share it? God, He's a creator, and He's a righteous creator who will judge and not overlook sin. Man, man's in a desperate state that can't save himself, no matter how many good things he does. Christ, amazing, wonderful Savior, who came to take your punishment on Him, as the wrath of God was poured out to Him on the cross, and He rose again three days later, in order to prove that that sacrifice was acceptable to God. But if anybody believes in Jesus Christ, they will be saved. Response. There are many people in this room, potentially. You have never put your faith in Jesus Christ. God commands you, literally commands you, to respond to this message. He is calling you to His side, And he asks you, commands you to repent of your sin. Meaning turn away from what you were doing in the past. Acknowledging all that you've done was wrong. And you need to turn in faith to Jesus Christ. Putting your full trust in Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross alone. And as Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, you call upon the name of the Lord. And he will save you. Bend your knee to the king who you've committed high treason And He will save you this day. And you will be a child of the King. Absolutely amazing. So don't leave without turning or tuning, turning from your sins and turning to Christ. You can do it right now. Father, we give you praise for the gospel. Lord, that it reached our ears. And that, Lord, if it's been faithfully preached here, that you would use your gospel message. That you would use your gospel message in the hearts of those who have heard it that might not know you. And that you would turn them to your side today. And you would save them. For those in here, Lord, that are believers in Jesus Christ, I ask, Lord, that you'd give us greater passion, as Paul had. Boldness to share your beautiful treasure with those around us. Though we are clay pots and we don't know everything and we're not very good with communicating a lot of the times and difficult in speech. Lord, use these worthless vessels to faithfully deliver your message that people may be saved, lives may be changed, and your name may be glorified.